All right. My, my, my. How's everybody doing tonight? There's a lot of, that was pitiful for so many people in here. I said, how's everybody doing tonight? Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Boy, don't you, don't you appreciate the choir back there? They convinced me they know what they're singing about. And what a great example of men leading in the church. I like that too, amen? Uh, if you got your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll be reading in verses 25, 26, and 27. But while you're turning there, uh, I, uh, I really enjoy coming to the different churches, and I tell the students at camp that I love them. But it's one thing for me to tell them I love them in my house, it's another thing for me to come here and tell them I love them in their house, okay? So that's the reason I travel to uh, the different churches and do whatever I can to assist in ministry. And before I start tonight's message, uh, uh, a couple of things. A lot of pastors said I need to explain where I got when He said I thought I would explain how I got the name Big Kahuna. In 1987, I took a job as a youth pastor. And uh, on my first Wednesday night, I went to youth group. And I had 27 students, and uh, so uh, that was great. And so I went into the, the pastor's office on Thursday morning, and I said, we had 27 students. He went, man, that's great. And he said, because said that, that's good because we have reserved you 70 spots for summer camp in three months. I said, how am I supposed to do that? He said, that's the reason I hired you, okay? And so, uh, so I didn't know what in the world, man, I went to pray, and I, dear God, I'd never been a youth pastor before. And, oh, yeah, I wasn't really the youth pastor. They just hired me until they could get a real youth pastor, okay? Uh, you know, and uh, they paid me $200 a week, okay? You can't even pay attention on 200 a week, you know what I'm saying? Much less pay any bills. But anyway, uh, I took a job there, and so I got to thinking the only, the only asset that I had was those 27 students. So the next uh, Sunday morning during Sunday school assembly, I gave them all a three-by-five note card. I said, put your name and phone number at the top and write down the name of three of your friends and their phone number that you think might want to go to camp with you. And so then Monday about 3.30 when I knew they all got out of school, I started calling, and I said, hey, I'm Steve Coleman. I'm the, big, uh, I'm the new youth pastor at the church, and I want to know, do you want to come go to camp with me and Billy Bob, Okay. And, uh, and you know what? They would say yes. I said, well, give me three names of your friends that want to go to camp. <laughs> to make a long story short, that was in the start of March. And on June 11th, I left with 211 kids. Amen. <laughs> we took them to Panama City, and uh, we're down there. And my pastor came by and said, said you remind me of that Frankie Avalon guy that used to be in charge of all the students in the beach movies back in the 60s. Uh, he said, what was his name? He was, that was the big kahuna, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, that was him, okay. And then I had a Hawaiian lady that was teaching in my Sunday school department. And I said, what does that kahuna thing mean, okay? And uh, she said, it simply means teacher, okay? So that's the, that's the Hawaiian word for teacher. So when you say big kahuna, it is an honor to be called teacher. And so that's how the kahuna started. I was in a, <laughs> I, I was, uh, in a church uh, Last week that I've been to before, this lady says, I never real can remember your name. I just call you the Big Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you can call me anything you want to, darling, you just, as long as you call me, okay? But uh, in an introduction to tonight's message, uh, this last summer at summer camp, I preached a, a sermon out of Colossians chapter 2, okay? 
And uh, I've always quoted this verse, but I, uh, we did a whole uh, message on this particular verse. We, uh, my son and I were preaching out of the book of Colossians during the summer. And uh, in Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, As you received him, walk ye also in him. As you received him, walk ye also in him. Okay? Now then, the first thing you need to realize, I'm not trying, number one, I'm not called to preach to a crowd, okay? Praise God, there's a crowd here tonight, but if they were four, I'd preach just the same, okay? And another thing you need to understand, I'm not preaching for a response, okay? I'm just going to remind you what the Word of God says about what your response should be to His Word, okay? Um, I really, you know... Uh, and so it says, I don't know about you, but I wasn't saved until I was 25 years old, and I'd been under conviction for about, about a year. And let me tell you something. The day I got saved, I want to tell you something. I was looking for a Savior. I was looking for Jesus because I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew I, I had tried everything, and I had none of the answers. And when I got saved, I want to tell you something. I was looking for Jesus. The day, I got, the day I got saved, I'm telling you what, I would have done anything to get saved. I wouldn't have had any problem bowing down. I bowed down. I got down on the floor and gave Jesus my life. I'll tell you what, I would have done anything. I would have gone anywhere to get Jesus. I was desperate for a Savior. That's the way I received him. Did anybody receive Jesus like that? Just slip up here, that you were desperate when you got saved that you needed a Savior. The day you got saved, were you looking for a Savior? Well, if you weren't looking for him, how in the world did you find him? <laughs> I, I'm going to have to do y'all like I did the, the young people last night, okay? When I look at you and I ask for a response, and you look at me like this. <laughs> See, I'm not a smart man. And I don't know when you start, started misunderstanding, but all I know is you must not understand what I ask you. So the, I don't know where to start back, so I just start the whole sermon over again. <laughs> so I said, how many people, when you got saved, were in need of a Savior? Amen. <laughs> See how simple that is? <laughs> my, my, my. Colossians said, as you receive him, walk ye also in him. That means as much as you needed Jesus on the day you got saved, you ought to need him that much every day. You ought to be looking him, looking for him with the same intensity as the day that you got saved. And I know that most people aren't saved in church, but all I know is wherever you made an altar, I pray that you bowed your uh knee and bent your neck and you said Lord Jesus I'm not worthy of your blood but I need you to save my soul and you know what and see then the Bible says as you received him every day you walk in him just like that that means every day of your life that desire for the word of God the desire for a touch from God the desire to have him be part of your life can I tell you something you need him that much every day you got to pursue him that much and so I want to tell you something the most natural thing in the world is that you come in this auditorium from any of these doors or you come in the auditorium from your church or wherever you go to church
You go in, the outer, you go in your closet, your quiet place to have your, your quiet time, and I'm telling you, you need to have a need for the Lord. And when God answers that need, when he shows you, he, the Bible is about two things, how good God is and how much we mess up. Okay? And you know what? When God shows you as a believer that there's things that you need to get right with him, you know what? You need to get on your face, whether it's in this pew or in this altar, and you need to confess your sins and get right with God. But you know what? And like I said, I'm, you know, know, everybody thinks, well, you're trying to get a bunch of people to come forward. You know what? I learned a long time ago, every time I preach, every person in the room responds. Pretty good, huh? (laughs) No, no, no. You respond. You say, well, preacher, I didn't do nothing. Well, by you doing nothing, you just did something. (laughs) And you know what? I'm not worried about your response. But I want to tell you something. When the Word of God speaks to you, I think as believers, we ought to bust this aisle and get in this altar and get right with God. And oh yeah, by the way, if we as believers won't walk the aisle and make things right with God, how dare we ask a lost man to do it? And we wonder why lost people don't get saved more at church. I'll tell you why. It's because the church members, and I'm one of them, don't respond to the Lord as we should, okay? Now then, Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 25, the Bible says, When you're uh, thinking about revival, you're thinking about what you're going to do for God. I'm going to talk about what God's already done for you. Once you figure out what God's done for you, it's, it's not hard to do what you need to do, okay? Verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. I will clean you of all your filthiness and all your idols. God says he will clean you. God is the one who does the cleaning, okay? You can't clean it up. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. You can't clean yourself up. You can't get right. If you could get clean without Jesus, he died in vain. But God does the cleaning up. He says, a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. He said he will give you his heart. It's his job to put his heart inside this old earthly vessel here. He's the one that gives us the faith to believe, sends the Holy Spirit to strengthen us so we can believe, and gives us his work on the cross that we can't that we do believe. He is the one that saves us. He's the one that cleans us. And he says, He says, and I will, he says, uh, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, and you will do them. Did you hear that? He said he would cause us to keep his commandments and walk in his statutes. Now, wait a minute. Anybody in here feel like you keep his commandments and walk in his statutes all the time? Raise your hand. If you raise your hand, I'm going home with you. (laughs) I'm going to see how you do that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Whew. I mean, that's something I have not mastered. But you know what? The Word of God says He will do it. And I believe the Word. So you know what? 
I, just like this morning, there's a problem in the equation. Is there a problem on God's side doing what he said he would do, or is there a problem on our side doing what we need to do? I almost bet it you it's on our side. I think I know what that thing is, okay? Uh, you know, they uh, just had the, is that the Emmy, what they have, Oscar Awards? Then they have, they have, or have the Emmys this year if they had those yet. And, you know, man, man, they got awards for awards. You know, they got every kind of award. And they are, they are telling me the, with the awards, I think what they're trying to tell me is that the best actors in the world live in Hollywood and in New York City. And they got all these awards and all these shows to prove that to you. But I preach in about 30 churches every year. And I know where the best actors in the world are. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. And you know what? The only way that God can work is that you and I would get honest with ourselves and honest with God and honest with each other. Could God work? And I think the problem in the church is pretending. You know, this the vehicle of preaching. I, I was called to preach, and I love to preach. But you know what? If we were really going to talk about revival tonight or any time this week, it wouldn't be through the vehicle of preaching, but it would be you and I would sit down at the table in the fellowship hall, or I would come to your house, and we'd sit around the dinette or the coffee table and have a glass cup of coffee or a glass of tea, and I would look at you, and I would say, how are things between you and Jesus? And if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, Steve, I've been a Christian 20 years, and I still struggle with a quiet time. I can't seem to get away and have that time with God, and life is just such a turmoil, and I still struggle with having a quiet time. And you know what? If you were to get honest, and I would be honest with you, I believe God could work on that. I really believe he could. That's kind of like confessing your sins one to another. Now, I want to tell you, I know that confessing your sin in church is dangerous, okay? I know some, some places I've been, you can confess your sins, and it's in the bulletin next week, you know? <laughs> that ain't God's plan, okay? You know what? If you were to look at me and say, how things between you and Jesus? And if I were to be honest, I'd say, you know what? Man, a lot of times on Sunday or any time I'm speaking, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I got the rest message. Lord, did I hear you properly? No, do I need to make this point? And I'm thinking I need to read something about it. And a lot of times before I preach, I forget to worship. And I forget, I forget just to lay down my Bible and say, God, you're going to lead during the preaching, and that's all it takes. And I just need to bless you for who you are right now. And you know what? I, I need to be sure that I worship before I preach every time. And that is if we could get honest with each other. If we were to talk about our prayer life, our witness, those kind of things, if we could talk back and forth about those things, if we would get honest with each other and honest with ourselves and honest with God and stop pretending, can I tell you something? He could move. We talked about this, that this morning, the fact that we have got to admit that we have a problem before he can move. Now, this pretending, I want to hit it from two or three angles here. 
But uh, the first one is, let's take it from the ladies' perspective. I like uh, telling stories from the ladies' point of view. Number one, they're a whole lot more truthful than men are. And that was a joke, but... Um, <laughs> And somehow they just seem to throw in more details. Let's just say that you're upstairs. See if this, see if this situation just kind of rings in your, uh, your past anywhere, okay? You're upstairs with your uh, 13-year-old daughter, and she pulls a dress out of the closet that she bought at the mall with her friends the day before. And she pulls that thing out and shows it to you and says, Look what I'm wearing to church today. And you look at her and you say, you are not wearing that trash to the house of God. What were you thinking when you bought that thing? She said, but I bought it with my friends and I really want to wear it. Everybody's wearing it. And you're saying, you've got to be kidding me. Get, get, get a life, you know, and put that thing away. And she starts crying. Okay. So she's upstairs. She's crying. Oh, 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 like that. She's crying. You come downstairs and your five-year-old son has a bowl of post-toasties, milk and all, turned up on top, upside down on top of his head. Your husband is sitting at the table reading the paper. He's done nothing. You come downstairs, you say to him, what are you doing? Do you see this boy over here? He says, I'm going to the car. I'm going to the car. And so, and he says, where are my keys? Because he never can find his keys, so you have to help me find the keys. He goes to the car. So when he gets in the car, what does he start doing? Blowing the horn. Okay. And you go out, and here you come, you got the girl by the ear and the little boy over like this, and you throw them in the back seat, and you jump in the front seat, and he screeches tires out of the carport. You get to the street, and you look over to him and says, Can I get my leg in the car? <laughs> You're riding down the road, and the girl reaches up to turn the radio on, and, your da and the dad slaps her hand and says, You're not listening to that trash on the house of God. And the little boy's like, Oh, oh, oh. And you're yelling at your husband, and you come up and you pull in the church parking lot, and the brakes go on, the four doors go, glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah, brother. We've come to worship in spirit and in truth. And you tell me the best actors live in New York City and Hollywood. You've got to be kidding me. I could some, show them some pretending. Now, like I told you this morning, uh, a lot of times I get in trouble. And if you don't listen to what I'm trying to teach you, you're going to not like what I say, okay? But, you know, I, I need to convince you right now, I believe in praying for the sick, okay? I believe in praying for the sick. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 1996, and I'll tell you something, when I found out I had have brain surgery and I found out I was really sick, I went to the elders of the church and I asked if they anoint me with oil and pray this prayer of healing over me. You know why I did that? Not because the Baptists say do it. I did that because the book says do it. Okay? I said because the book said, it said do it. Okay? And I believe in praying. Okay? Does everybody believe that I believe in praying for the sick? Okay? Amen. Okay, now, but watch this. Now then, you might be in Sunday school, or it might be Wednesday night, but when the pastor or the teacher of the Sunday school class asks for prayer requests, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to uh, ask you if you've ever heard some prayer requests kind of like this. Preacher, I got a brother down there in Alabama, and he's married to my first cousin on my daddy's side. 
and uh, he's got a friend he works with, and his friend's got a little girl, and uh, she's got a boil on her foot. Let's get honest. Uh, preacher, I got, I got a cousin uh, lived down in Alabama, and, and he's married my brother, and, and we're praying, uh, you know, if they get divorced, will they still be cousins? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> and you know what? We ask for prayer requests, and it's always about somebody else way off in another town that's got some sickness. And can I ask you a question? Do you think that I think that's the toughest thing going on in your family? Never in a million years. But we just come to church and over and over and over, we're praying for other people, hoping God will move in their life. And you know what? It's not my mother or my brother, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's about your personal walk with God. I'm reading a book on Ian Bounds about prayer, and he said, you know what? You have no need to pray for tomorrow. You, your needs are plenty enough to pray for today. And you need to pray that God will work in your heart today and tonight and every day of your Christian walk. And you need to walk in him just the way you receive him in search of his grace. You know what I'm waiting on? I'm waiting on a young lady to stand up and she says, my 16-year-old daughter's run off with a 20-year-old man. And they're living together and they're doing drugs together. Is there anybody in the house of God that will come stand beside me and help me get my baby back? Can I tell you something? God could answer that prayer. He could work in that situation. I'm waiting for a young man to stand up and say, I, I need somebody to church. I've, I've been watching pornography, and these, these images are chemically implanted on my brain, and I can't get away from it. Is there anybody in the house of God that can come with me and pray and get rid of this addiction? And God could move. But let me tell you something. Until you're willing to pray that honestly, God says, that until we're willing to stretch forth the withered hand, I think I said this more, God cannot heal. You have got to say, God, I need your help. It's not just getting saved and just kind of rolling just whatever God does, you know, and just, no, uh-uh. Every day of your life, you need to be begging him for the grace that it takes to get you for that, through that one day and to keep you focused on him that day. Is there a chance that you just might get honest tonight with yourself? You know what? There's areas that I need help. Would you get honest with the Lord and say, God, I need your help. Without you, I'm sunk. Would you just dare be honest with your spouse or honest with your children? The fact that we're not honest, it ties the hands of God. And he cannot work. 
He cannot work until we're get. You know, this whole thing about confession and repentance of sin, that's what Christianity is about. But we get saved, and we get our ticket to heaven, and we come to church, and we stand up and sit down and sing and put money in the plate, quote the verses, listen to the sermon, and go home and leave exactly the way we came. That's not what this place is. This is a, a hospital where sick and hurting people come for healing. Spiritual healing, psychological healing, physical healing. It's supposed to happen right here. And it will not happen and it cannot happen until we as believers get on it. Now, this would be a great place for invitation right here. But you know what? I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to keep that on your mind. But there will be an invitation, okay? It says in verse, uh, in verse 26 there, it says that he says, My heart will I give you. My spirit, spirit will I put within you, and I will take away your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh or a flesh heart. It is God that does the save. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says you're not saved by works, but you're saved by grace because unless, he said it happens that way unless anybody should happen to want to brag. Salvation is all about him. Salvation has nothing to do with you. Salvation is not to get you to heaven. Salvation is to satisfy holy God's wrath against you as an individual. And you were saved for him, by him, for his pleasure. And you need to, when you get saved, you need to be able, you need to have the thought in mind that you were giving God your life. He says, I will put my spirit in you. I will send the Holy Spirit to give you faith. I will send the Holy Spirit to bring remembrance the things you've learned about me so that you can make a, 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 an act of your will to give your life to me. So many people talk to me about their salvation. They say, brother, I was saved 30 years ago. And I say, praise God. And? And what? You joined the church? Whoopee. That means absolutely nothing. I've been saved 20 years. So? You know what? If your salvation is not doing much for you, I would question my salvation. I really would. You know what? I got a sneaky feeling that when the creator of the universe steps out of heaven and steps into your life, I got a feeling you're going to know it. And not only do I believe you'll know it, I believe it will change the way you act, the way you talk, and the way you think. Now, I want to tell you something. It does not mean that we will be perfect. It does not mean we will always be right. But it does mean that you and I can't be complaining and bellyaching about the same things that the world is belly aching about because we have a hope that is in the Lord Jesus 
And they say you, they say you worried about the same thing. Oh, I can't pay my mortgage. I got to live in. I need a new car and I need some new clothes. My Bible says you can't worry about the clothes you wear, where you're going to live, or what you're going to eat. I got news for you. If Jesus don't come through, we are sunk. Kills me people talking about politics, talking about Democrats. Let me tell you something. If you're depending on the political system to bail this nation out, you're in a sad shape. I got news for you. There's politicians running this country. That's bad news. Amen? Amen? And the politicians are in there because, oh, here we go. Let me, i got to get off this, okay? <laughs> They're in there because we sat on our blessed assurance and let them take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse and prayer out of schools, and that's why we got what we got. Amen. Amen. I won't charge you anything extra for that right there. <laughs> Just throw that in. God does the saving. And this is about thing about pretending you're saved. See, if you believe something, it will change the way you act. If you believe it, if you truly believe it, it'll change the way you act. You know, uh, if somebody were to stick their head in that door over there and say, Hey, Kahuna, there's a bomb in the sanctuary. Well, a lot of people would take off. But there might be a few in here say, Brother Coon, if you want to keep on preaching, I'll sit right here with you until you finish, okay? And I appreciate that, but if you stay in here and I believe there's a bomb in here, you're going to be alone. Amen. And I'll tell you, it's not that I got any fear of dying. I just don't want to be hurt real bad and suffer until I do that. <laughs> Does that not make sense to you? If you believe in it, if you believe, he said, a grain of wheat must fall in the ground and die in order that it multiply. Are you doing any multiplying? Could we get honest? When's the last time you shared your faith with another human being? Are you multiplying? Is God speaking to you? Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. Is God talking to you? I'm not, I mean, yes, through the sermons, through the songs, but I'm talking about man to man. I mean, man to God, excuse me. Is God speaking to you. He says, he says, guess what? If you're mine, I'm talking to you. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they didn't know. And Peter said, wait a minute, you're the son of the living God that's come to take away the sins of the world. And he went, you got it, buddy. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed to you this to you, but Almighty God in heaven has spoken to common man, and he says, on this rock, the foundation of the church is the fact that Almighty God wants to talk to you every day, and he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, our Catholic brothers and sisters believe that uh, Jesus built the, rock, the church on Peter, the Pope, but I got news for you. I don't need anybody to help me to talk to Jesus. And you know what? 
I've got to keep my sins confessed so that he keeps talking to me. This thing about being saved, that's, that's some of the biggest pretending of all. I mean, I've, I've been in student ministry for years. And, you know, and I've, I've had, we, and we, at Snowbird, we're very careful, and we push as hard as we can to, to, to keep a student from making an emotional decision. We don't want them to come back the next year and say, oh, I didn't make it again. Because children will do that. Young people, students will do that, okay? But you know, there's a lot of people in this room tonight, and you're here on Sunday night because you came to hear the Word of God, but in your heart of heart, you know that you're not saved. You say, well, preacher, I'm 99% sure I'm saved. Well, you just told me you're 100% lost. Jesus said you can know that you have eternal life. If Jesus said you can know, you can know. You might be a Sunday school teacher. You might be a deacon. I don't know what position you have. But let me tell you something. Unless you have a shirt to your salvation, you're just pretending. Jesus said you can know. Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Or is this some doubting? Let me tell you something. If you are not saved, if you are saved, what's the worst thing Satan will try to tell you? That you're not. But if you're not saved, what will he tell you? That you are. And he is the deceiver. He is the father of all lies. And he makes some great, great excuses. But I, I, you know what? You need to examine tonight and every day of your life, do you truly know him? Do you know that you know him? Are you sure that you know him? Does he live inside of you and change the way you act? Or are you just playing games? You might be here with your spouse, and you're here because they want to come. You might be here with your parents, and you're here because they wanted you to come. You might be here because somebody asked you and you felt like you had to come. But are you here tonight? You know what? If you doubt your salvation as a believer, you will never grow in your faith because you can't grow something you're not sure of. And number two, you will never share your faith. How are you going to share with somebody that you're not sure of? You can't do it. And so if you're doubting your salvation, you are useless in the kingdom of God. He can't use you. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. He said, doubting in nothing, and especially your salvation. You know what? If I, if I, you know what? And Satan is a liar. You know what? He comes to me, and he said, you know what? You are worthless, and you are just a, you know, bottom-sucking scum-eater person. And you're not, you're not qualified to preach. And, you know, you're trying to tell me that, that you said one prayer and God let you into heaven? And I say, yeah. Yes, he did. Because I have the assurance of my salvation. You know what? If you're not sure of your salvation, you know what? You need to bow your head and you need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and come in and take total control of your life and have the assurance of your salvation. 
And you know what? That's all you got to do to remove all doubt. And if we're not going to do that, why do we bother to come to church? I was preaching in uh, Asheville, North Carolina years ago. The president of the WMU, sitting right over there, gave the invitation. She came down, beautiful white hair, beautiful lady. I stood there. I knew why she was coming because every Sunday that I'd preached in that church, she came down and prayed for her two boys that were away from Christ. She took me by the hand and with tears in her eyes, she said, Brother Steve, I've been doubting my salvation for 35 years, and today I'm not going to doubt anymore. Would you lead me in a prayer that I can get rid of this doubt? They live, they, that was, that's about two hours from camp. And her husband was so excited about the new wife that he got. And thanks to Snowbird, he came and worked about every weekend, all day Saturday, 70-something years old. But he was thankful for his new wife. I was preaching in Lexington, Lexington uh, South Carolina, gave the invitation, and two men started walking down the aisle. The first one was 68, and the next one was 73. They came down, and they got saved. They just got saved. The next time I was in that church, this little lady came up to me and says, Brother Steve, you don't know who I am, but I'm married to that 68-year-old man that got saved last time you was here, and I just came to tell you, my supper gets cold every night with my new husband praying grace over our food. Did, get, did getting saved change you from the top of your head to the tip of your toes? And are you walking in him as you should, just like that every day? I think we need to get honest tonight. If we're going to have revival in this place, I've got to be honest, and you've got to be honest, and God. There was no... There was no life there. There was no joy because she'd been destroyed by sin. Why are we getting saved? We're not getting saved to get to heaven. We're saving, we're getting saved so that we can that we can share the gospel with other people and they can get help. Jesus was a server, and if you're his, you are going to be a server. And Jesus said, I have not come to rule, but I have come to serve. You want to know if you're saved or not? Are you serving? Every person you can, every time you can. You know, I mean, that you, and then you're going to fail, and you can say, oh, God, I've sinned. But helping other people needs to be why we're alive. Jesus he who thought it not robbery to be equal to God took on the form of a servant and was obedient, obedient to death on the cross. Church, we've lost our focus. We've lost our vision. And the world is lost. And they de desperately need you not to bail you out of hell, not to get you to heaven, but you need to get right with God so that you, that you can 
minister to the hurt and hurting people in this community and in this world. You know what? This invitation is threefold. Number one, one more story. I got a, a friend that's on our board, was born on our board of directors. He was a Vietnam veteran, and he was the man who started the Vietnam Veterans Motorcycle Gang. The Vietnam's Motorcycle Gang were all guys that were in Vietnam, and they formed a gang. Uh, as, I was, as I got to know him, I was excited and looking forward to asking him why the Motorcycle Gang got started. And I was thinking it was going to be some kind of geopolitical, you know, psychological thing. And you know what he said? We formed the gang so we'd have somebody to talk to. Because the people that be in Vietnam, they experienced something nobody else had, and nobody could, would talk to them about it. And he said, we started just to talk. You know, uh, and see, the world, they're, they're, they're saying they got the answer. Y'all remember that TV show, Cheers? You remember the theme song, I want to go where everybody knows my name? That's what, that's what the world is dying for. If a person comes through these doors and visits your church and they don't find somebody they can relate to, the first or second visit, they'll leave and never come back. Why? They're looking for somebody that wants to know their name. you got to serve them and ask their name. Biker Joe shared his testimony a number of times from our pulpit speaking to the students at camp, and he said these words, young people, listen to me. I do not know how many people I have killed. They started that motorcycle gang really in pretty innocent. But the, the Hells Angels, who were uh, veterans of the Second World War, they knew that these guys were military-trained killers, and so they started telling them how to sell drugs and sell people. And... But Biker Joe got saved. He didn't clean himself up. God cleaned him. Would we, would we stop pretending that we're honest with God and with ourselves? Would we stop pretending that we're saved when we're just really not sure? Would we stop pretending that as soon as we got it figured out, we'll get right with God? And could we just tonight just say, God, change my life. God, work in my heart. God, I surrender to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the pianist plays softly, We're not going to sing. We're not going to stand up. But I want you to just, in prayer with the Lord Jesus, you would ask him to show you the areas of pretending in your life. And you need to confess those. And you need to ask his forgiveness.
And then you need to know that he has heard your prayer and he does forgive you and he loves you. You need to sit there and you need to think about and you need to pray about about the assurance of your salvation. Do you know that you know that you know? If not, there are pastors that are here. There are people that will pray with you and we'll stay here as long as we need to to answer your questions so that you can leave here assured of your salvation. There are people here maybe that are struggling with what you've done and you've been pretending a long time and you say, you know what, God could never forgive me. And he said, oh, yes, he can. But you don't know what I've done. No, I know what he did. And he died and paid for your sin debt all in full no matter what it is. Would you dare, would you dare, would you dare to leave this place tonight? Sins confessed right with God with no cloud between you and your heavenly father.